Welcome to Green Shoots, hosted by the Arbor Group at UBS. My name is Mike France. And I'm Jack O'Connor. Green Shoots is a podcast that focuses on the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the people and organizations that are aligned with these objectives. Today, our extra special guest is Tobin Booth, CEO of One Energy Renewables. One Energy is based in Seattle, Washington, and they're a developer, owner, and operator of utility-scale solar projects in the United States. As always on the Green Shoots podcast, we're focused on how our guests are working towards achieving the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, of which One Energy is primarily focused on goal number seven, affordable and clean energy. So without further ado, Tobin Booth. Tobin Booth, welcome to Green Shoots. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so uh, just jumping right into this, uh, can you explain a little bit about One Energy's business model and how you guys are carving out a niche among the large solar project developers? Of course. Um, One Energy is a real estate developer and builder for solar energy generation facilities. We are exactly like a commercial real estate developer, but the difference is that we develop solar projects instead of buildings. We sell energy instead of square feet. We are a lot different from the large solar developers out there that are often publicly traded companies or global energy companies. We're, first of all, we're privately held based here in Seattle. We are focused on a variety of different project sizes and strategies, all with the intention of making a, a large impact on climate change. And you know, lastly, we're just far more nimble than the large players. We work really hard to identify markets and strategies and be there before the big players arrive. And you know, therefore, we recognize the number one path to success for a small business like us based here in the Northwest is by carving out a strategy and arriving earlier than the competition. And it's exactly like Wayne Gretzky said is so famous for saying that um, we skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. And speed to market is crucial for us. There's not a whole lot of differentiation for us in our industry. Everybody uses the same equipment, selling you know clean, green solar electrons. As I said, speed to market is crucial to us. And it's important to be early in these markets because it's a highly regulated industry. And when you file an interconnection agreement to sell electricity to a distribution or transmission grid, it can take one to five years before you're able to actually build that project and turn it on and sell the energy from it. So, you know, just summing it up, we're a very entrepreneurial company. It's required in this nascent industry. We're not averse to trying new things and taking calculated risks. And Taking calculated risks is an incredibly important factor in why we're successful. We place a number of bets across a variety of different strategies, and we see what blossoms. Tobin, it's great to know that the solar industry also likes sports analogies. We tend to use them quite frequently in the financial sector as well. I guess this great segue into the next question, which is, what is the current state of the utility solar development projects in the U.S., and how does this compare to what's going on in the rest of the world? It's a great time in solar development. Utility-scale solar development is currently white hot across the United States and most of the world, for that matter. Now, why is that? It's really simple. 
economics are driving a transition to clean energy. I've been in this industry for 25 years now, and we used to have to sell on going green and it's good for the earth and it's good for your relationship with your shareholders. We don't do that anymore. We sell great on economics and that's it, plain and simple. Solar energy is competitive with natural gas, coal, and a lot of other forms of electricity. And in addition, it's citable in all kinds of places. You can put solar on your rooftop. You can put solar on carports above your parking garage or carports above your parking lot. And you can place solar panels on open real estate. It really is simply about economics. And the sunshine is just incredibly predictable. This industry is mature. And our energy source is not subject to geopolitical conflicts and volatility in the uh, supply chain. It's really a, a great time to be in the solar industry. We're seeing a fascinating amount of growth in China with renewable energy and Japan, all across Europe, of course, as that's been in the news due to the conflict in Ukraine. There's a lot of momentum for clean energy these days. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And based on kind of that economic competitiveness, I would assume that there are, you know, some facilities available to financing these large solar projects kind of based on that economic competitiveness. Have you seen that large banks, venture capital firms, other sources of capital that are looking to invest? Are they coming heavily into the space and chasing, tracking you down, trying to get you to take their money? Or is there still kind of a gap in project funding where it is still a little chicken in the egg trying to find out where you're getting the money from to grow and develop these projects? There is a lot of capital rotating into our industry. We're seeing a lot of our peers and suppliers having initial public offerings or getting purchased by private equity investors or infrastructure funds. There's a massive cap. There's a wall of capital rotating into our industry for a lot of different reasons. Economics, you know, is a big part of it. Predictability is a big part of it. And just the overall interest in ESG investing is also bringing in a lot of capital rotating into our industry. Really interesting. And Sometimes we think about the U.S. power market as just this one giant market. But as we just spoke a little bit about, ago about, there are actually seven regional markets. Do they all, those different markets have varying parameters when it comes to project development and the requirements that are needed to put a, you know, turn on the, the switch, so to speak? Or is it fairly homogenous? And, and if it's not, does that make it difficult to scale? Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. As you said, there are seven different independent system operators. They're also called regional transmission operate organizations across the United States. And there's two also in Canada. And no, they're not homogenous at all. It's a source of frustration, but also a source of opportunity for us. Each ISO or RTO has totally different regulations, different interconnection rules, different timelines to interconnect and a different level of interest on interconnecting solar energy into their grid. There's a ton of chaos in our industry related to interconnections because there are thousands of interconnection applications waiting to proceed. They're stuck in, in uh, interconnection queues, waiting for their feasibility studies to proceed. And yeah, this patchwork of independent system operators makes the U.S. a very tough place to do business and build solar projects. It's definitely one of the barriers in transitioning to 
clean energy. Yeah. And speaking about barriers uh, to the transition, sometimes I hear people that are skeptics and you know they have their reasons for being skeptical or perhaps incentives to not want to go along with solar. But sometimes they're skeptical about solar because they say there's not enough land to support the massive adoption of solar. You know, Essentially, there's just not enough land to do this. So how does One Energy and I guess just the industry in general get the most energy output per acre? Good global question. I looked it up. The United States consumes about 3,900 terawatt hours of electricity on an annual basis. And I did the calculation. I read what Elon Musk said it should be. I did the calculation for myself. It's about 12,800 square miles of solar panels would provide 100% of the United States electricity from solar energy. That's based on you know, sighting an array, a, a huge solar array in a very sunny part of the country on a single axis tracker with a high ground coverage ratio. The tech, it's an industry term. Elon Musk says it's about 10,000 square miles. I think he's far too optimistic on that one. What is 12,800 square miles? That's about the size of Lake Erie, maybe a little bit larger than the state of New Jersey, around the size of the footprint of Hawaii. But the trouble is that we don't need all this electricity in one place. That's what's really interesting about solar energy and how the energy industry is evolving. Traditionally, we've placed our energy production facilities at these massive centralized power plants that are 500 megawatts to 2 gigawatts in size. And that's an outdated model that's not going to work long-term. It's very similar to the previous mainframe computing model before we realized the benefits of distributed computing by personal computers. We exist on a large land area and we need to be able to transmit energy over these large, large spaces in the United States. And then transmission and distribution networks just aren't that efficient. Impedance losses are significant. So we need to be able to generate power in a more distributed fashion, just like we do in our computing industry today. And that means locating energy production closer to points of consumption. And how do we do that? Solar and batteries are perfect for distributed generation. We can locate solar and, and battery, battery systems much closer to load centers. It's a more efficient and more sustainable and more energy security way of, of developing our energy system in the next years. I need to also mention agrivoltaics. You asked, how do we get more energy output per acre? You know, let's dual use our energy facilities from here on out. Let's not scar the earth and put these massive centralized power systems in places. And the advent of agrivoltaics in solar energy generation is a fascinating and beautiful way of combining energy production with agriculture. We can continue to farm land we can continue to graze animals on these properties where we're also producing solar energy. And there's a big moment, there's a huge amount of momentum to dual use property. And we're, we're proud to say that we're at the forefront of that and, and working really hard to help make solar energy ubiquitous across our farmland, but also maintain our farmland at the same time. That's very interesting. We live in Seattle. We know the sun doesn't always shine. How do we solve this intermittency issue that is inherently comes with solar production? It's a great question. And it's one of the criticisms of solar energy is that it's intermittent. 
like, yes, you know, perfect solar day looks like a bell curve, and the top of the curve is solar noon. Solar energy is increasingly becoming a baseload product because of the advent of battery storage technologies. And solar paired with storage is how we not only get around a lot of utility upgrade requirements, it's also how we dispatch electricity at the time it's most needed to support the grid or to provide energy to the loads. In addition, I mentioned that interconnection queues have become incredibly long and are stifling the growth of clean energy in our country. So many of us in the solar industry are looking for ways to sidestep the interconnection to the utility grid. What else can we do with solar energy that helps to transition our country to clean energy technologies? And what is maturing is solar plus solar energy used to produce hydrogen. It's called green hydrogen. This is potentially the holy grail where no utility interconnection is required. We can produce our own electricity and we can consume that electricity by running electrolyzers, splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen, and using that hydrogen to run airplanes, cars, industrial applications, and, and other things. So solar power plus electrolyzers is going to be something we start to see much more commonly here in the United States and across the world. And I kind of want to go back to, you know, I'm always obviously, you know, Mike and I work in finance and I'm always just most interested in the economics of things. And I want to discuss a little bit about government incentives or the subsidies because solar has scaled so much in the last decade, let's say, you know, specifically and has become so cost effective. Does the solar industry still need government incentives to compete with fossil fuels? Yeah, look, we're just looking to level the playing field with the fossil fuel industry. The oil and gas industry receives massive subsidies and has for over 100 years. So, yes, we do need subsidies, and so does the oil and gas industry. Let's just look at what the oil and gas industry has received for so many years. They receive an unbelievable amount of tax incentives. They receive drilling cost reductions which allows oil companies to deduct the majority of costs for drilling new wells. They re received well depletion deductions, which works just like equipment depreciation. As the well is depleted over time, they're able to deduct the, the value of that well. They also have master limited partnerships. 75% of MLPs in the United States are oil and gas, which makes the entity tax exempt. It works exactly like a real estate investment trust where only the distributions to shareholders are taxed. There are more incentives just like that in accounting methods, domestic manufacturing deductions, foreign tax credits. They have export-import, bank loans and grants, overseas private investment corporation. The OPIC provides financing and political risk insurance and other types of support. You know, just overall, the governments across the world have subsidized fossil fuels since 1916. And it, that encourages more fossil fuel use than the world would otherwise use. And it locks in fossil fuel use for years to come. And that's just not in our interest as inhabitants of this enclosed bubble that we live in called the Earth. The Investment Reduction Act, it provides somewhere around $500 billion in incentives over 10 years to 
uh, renewable energy and different forms of renewable energy. You know, it depends how you look at it, but the oil and gas industry receives in the multiples of trillions of dollars per year of subsidies from oil and gas. Depends what you count. Are you counting wars in foreign countries? Um, are you counting just all those account accounting opportunities? I mean, the playing field needs to be leveled and the total cost that oil and gas has on our earth and the cost of dumping their byproducts in our atmosphere need to be counted. Tobin, I can tell you're really energized about the sector. Uh, you know, Otherwise, you wouldn't be CEO. But what are you most excited about that's taking place in the en energy industry and solar industry? Thanks for asking. That's a great question. You know, I've been in this industry for 25 years. I've seen so many ups and downs and a lot of things happening. What I am most excited about, I really have converged on this one idea. What I'm most excited about in this industry is energy choice and the concept of energy choice. You know, when you flip your lights on at home, you're only buying one product from your utility company. There's for too long, the electrical utility companies have only supplied one product, a kilowatt hour from the cheapest source they can buy electricity from. For us here in the Pacific Northwest, that's generally hydroelectric power. You know, in the Midwest, it's often coal or natural gas. In California, it's mostly hydropower and natural gas. Depends where you live, right? I don't blame the utility companies for that. That's their job is to provide reliable and, and cheap electricity to help humankind you know, benefit from electricity. And, and that's fine, but it doesn't take into the account, account the indirect costs of burning coal and oil and gas, producing nuclear energy and damming our rivers. Energy choice is fabulous because now in many states, consumers can choose their electricity source. They can put solar panels on their rooftops or on their property, or they can buy electricity from community solar fields. And community solar to me is the most beautiful and elegant form of energy choice out there. It has a massive role to play because it allows consumers and businesses and individuals buy electricity from a remote solar array that's not located on their property and they receive those energy credits to their, their utility bill. This is an effective way of providing energy choice to consumers and utilities. About 14 states currently have community solar bills in place. Many more states are moving that direction and it levels the playing field, enables all the people in those states with community solar, equal opportunity to receive the benefits of solar energy, both the economic benefits and the opportunity to choose clean energy. Energy choice is brilliant, and it's something that we all deserve in a modern country like the United States. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I could just see now, you know, an energy company executive or somebody that's, you know, involved with fracking, just quaking in their boots because of that. So I could see there probably being a little bit of pushback because that is so, you know, such a game changer. So, you know, kind of looking ahead, I guess, you know, you've been involved with solar for 25 years, probably longer than most people. So, if you were a young person and just starting out right now, you know, where would you go? Like, what would you recommend for people that are, say, in, you know, graduating from high school or finishing college that want to get into the industry? You know, where do you think kind of those avenues are that 
you know, people can actually get involved in this space and make a career out of it. What would you recommend for people that are kind of starting out right now? First of all, this is one of the most exciting times I've seen in the energy industry. There are so many opportunities for young folks out there, whether you're getting a degree in accounting or engineering or construction management, there are a lot of opportunities in the clean energy industry from developing the next electrolyzer solution to managing construction on a battery storage project to you know installing a solar array, managing the engineering of a solar project. I would just say, stay curious. That's my number one recommendation to the young folks out there. Stay curious, seek ideas, have conversations with other people. Remember to engage with the off-screen world. I keep telling my teenagers that. And do something you're passionate about. Like, don't just fall into the trap of, you know, working on Wall Street. Seek what's inside of yourself. Read books. Engage with the community solar opportunities near you. The, I'll give a plug for the American Solar Energy Society. They have a, an annual tour. It's in October of every year. All 50 states participate, and you can take tours of local solar arrays and the and solar projects in the area in which you live. Stay curious. Talk to people who have solar panels on their homes. Understand why people are switching to electric vehicles and how they're charging their electric vehicles, or if they're using a bidirectional charger on their homes so they can also uh, power their homes during an outage from their electric vehicles. There are so many cool things going on in our industry today that I would encourage all the young folks out there to just stay curious, you know, talk with people about your ideas. There's lots of information out there. And that's how I got interested in this industry. I work with North Carolina Solar Center and the Colorado State Solar Center, and my brain just blossomed from there and was so excited about the benefits of clean energy. Jack, we fell into the trap working on Wall Street. <laughs> Tobin, you set me up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, final question before we let you go, but we're still curious and that's that's why we're asking you questions here today. What have you been streaming? What have you been downloading? And what have you been learning that's interesting? Oh, it's a great question. In addition to listening to lots of great music on my favorite streaming channel, I've read a couple of great books recently. First one is Superpower by Russell Gold. And it's a fantastic book about, it's a true story about Michael Skelly, who's the chief development officer of Horizon Wind and an early pioneer in the wind industry. And it's just a great, great book about the challenges he faced in citing, permitting, and selling wind power in the early 90s and how the, the wind industry took off from there and the solar industry up for success. They were the early pioneers and generating clean energy and injecting that power into our utility grid. Highly recommended book. Yeah, it's a great book. The other book, I'm rereading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I was handed that book out of college in my first job in the solar industry. And it's a really great book about living a principled life, defining your principles, your personal mission statement, and just encourages, is very encouraging to all of us who face challenges in our day-to-day lives. It's very encouraging about seeking what's inside of you and making most of your relationships in the world around you. I definitely recommend those two books. 
I have my entire company reading the seven habits of highly effective people right now. We're having some great conversations around it. It's been really energizing and and tons of fun. And in addition, I've been listening to this great podcast by the Arbor Group and really have enjoyed all the interviews you've been holding. And uh, just on a final note here, if somebody that was listening today wanted to learn more about One Energy, where would they go? Our website's a great place to go, oneenergyrenewables.com. That's where I would start. Come visit us here in Seattle. Give us a call. Perfect. Well, Tobin, you've been really generous with your time, and we appreciate you having on the show. Great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Tobin. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jack. It's been fun. Hey, Mike, what a great conversation with Tobin today. What was your takeaway? Yeah, really great conversation with Tobin. And my big takeaway was his remarks regarding the seven major utility markets in the United States and the different um, regulations that a utility company like One Energy would have to abide by in order to plug into those various markets. It seems like really big inefficiency, especially when the whole goal here is to have a greater percentage of the power production in the United States come from renewables. I think the federal government should probably step in and perhaps try to streamline that process a little bit. What about you, Jack? Yeah, that was a very interesting uh, topic of conversation. I think for me, it was probably when I asked Hope in the question regarding whether or not solar industry still needs government incentives and subsidies to compete with fossil fuels. And I think a lot of times when you're talking about maybe not even just in clean energy or alternative energy, just in general, when a company is starting up or you know an industry is starting to come to fruition, a lot of focus is on the costs that are associated with the R&D and actually scaling. But not a lot of people focus on the expenses that have been associated with the fossil fuel industry and the amount of subsidies that they've received from the federal government over 100 years from now. So they didn't get to where they are now in their incumbent place by not taking government money. And so I think, you know, it comes down to what do we want to focus on as a country in terms of the next you know era of energy and whether or not uh, we're willing to dedicate the resources that it's going to take to get there. So for me, that was the main takeaway. Great point, Jack. And with that, we thank you for listening to this episode of Green Shoots. Please take a minute to check out our other episodes featuring thought leaders working to solve today's most vexing problems. We also appreciate your questions, feedback, or comments. You can email us at thearborgroup at ubs.com. See you next time on Green Shoots.